Welcome to the Almighty God and Gospel Girl podcast. Each week, you'll hear testimonies that turned failures into hope, despair into inspiration, and darkness into light, as well as actionable tips and strategies that you can implement in your daily life to overcome obstacles that can detour our Christian walk. Galatians 6.2 tells us to carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now here's your host, the Gospel Girl, Tammy Becker. We must be careful in our study of God's Word that we not run ahead of His Spirit. Let Him be our teacher. Only the Spirit of God can make His Word real to you. Hi everyone, this is Tammy Becker. Welcome to the Almighty God and Gospel Girl podcast. And this week is week six in our brand new series. Well, I guess it's not so brand new anymore, but of a revelation. And our podcast today is titled A Blood-Tipped Ear. My podcast today is going to be based on the reading of Revelation chapter 2 verses 18 through chapter 3 verse 6. So if you'd like to follow along with the notes, or maybe you'd like to find the links of anything that I might mention today in my podcast, you can go ahead and uh, find the link in the description, or you can visit the website right now at www.youministries.com and find the corresponding page there. So as we get started, I always like to get rid of the housekeeping and remind you of my disclaimer that, as always, do not take my word or anyone's word for what you read. Get in your Bible yourself. Let God discern his word to you. I'm only human. I make mistakes, and I do not claim to know or understand everything in the Bible. I just hope that I bring something out in this study that's going to interest and spark something in you to get in God's word and dive deeper on your own. So we're visiting the first century churches represented by the lampstands in Revelations chapter two and uh, three. So also, you know, do you know that one of the scariest Bible verses lives in the book of Revelation? Well, at least one of the scariest ones to me, and it doesn't even have anything to do with the number 666, Satan, or anything that you're probably thinking right now. But what it has to do with is something so really ordinary that you might never think about it, and it's in Revelation. But before we get to that scary verse, I want to continue talking about the churches. So as we left Pergamon, we move inland to Thyatira, and the nature itself has marked out this road. It's a it's a very easy path to Thyteria. It's conductive for communication between one valley and the other. And in ancient times, this was one of the chief travel routes of Asia Minor. Now, Thyateria sat in this long pass, a city built for defense, and not with physical towers or walls, but with the elite Roman guard stationed there. The safety also yielded many guild headquarters and and became kind of like the center of industries for like potters, tanners, weavers, robe makers, and dyers, guilds. And um, then Lydia, the seller 
of purple, who was the first to turn Christ in Europe, came from here. Now you can reference, write this down, Acts chapter 16, verse 14. Lydia's purple is today known as turkey red. It's a dye made from a plant that actually grows in that area. So the church in Thyatira represents the age of the church called Romanism, dominating the Dark Ages from A.D. 590 to approximately A.D. 1000. Now this season pictures the Son of God in judgment. His eyes are like a flame of fire searching them out and his feet are like burnished brass which represents judgment. Christ is judging this church. However, he also commends them. Often, it's thought that the Roman church during the Dark Ages is to be condemned wholeheartedly, but remember to always check your history yourself. There was good happening too. The Lord Jesus says, I see everything you're doing for me, including your love and your faith your service, and your persistence. Yes, very impressive. You get better at it every day. Jesus has six words of accommodation for the church of the dark ages when many true believers had a personal love of Christ, which they demonstrated in their good works. You can turn to James chapter 2, verse 18. The good works were the credentials of real believers. Many did live spotless lives and and by their good works, adorned by the doctrine. Titus 2.10 So the church of Thyteria in the Dark Ages, in spite of the fact that it had gone in for ritualism, was a church that loved the Lord. Wonderful saints of God lived during that period. And I've mentioned them all in my show notes, and you can check all of that out. But their faith for Jesus Christ was the mainspring that turns the hands of of works and love, and their patience increased, as did their good works. So all six of these virtues, good works, love, faith, ministry, patience, and increasing fruit, are produced by the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. So there is one fruitful charge of condemnation. You've tolerated Jezebel. That's in quotes, by the way. Jezebel had brought paganism into the northern kingdom of Israel. Evidently, in the local church of Thyteria, a woman with a reputation as a teacher and a prophetess was allowed to teach. There is a lot of speculation concerning the identity of Jezebel and how she influenced the first century church. But like the mention of Balaam in Pergamum, she, we, we should understand Jesus is using this woman as a type. Just as today, women in that day weren't called Jezebel. So Jesus is using the name to refer to the kind of influence present in the church. So there were women in Thyatira acting in similar ways, corrupting the church through an ungodly influence. So notice this negative influence has returned to an old favorite believer and, um, uh, you know, to an old favorite and believers were being persuaded 
like to eat the meat of sacrificed idols in the temples or guild suppers, and also to engage in immoralities that accompanied those meals. So clearly this was wrong, as Paul himself had written against this practice in his earlier letters to Corinth. Christ says he gave time for the woman to repent, but she didn't want to cease her immoralities. She calls herself a prophetess, meaning she claims to hear from God. So like Pergamon, the church in Thyteria was infiltrated by a false influence that was leading the believers astray. And in Pergamum, it was Balaam and a believer motivated by greed to spread false teaching. And Thyteria was Jezebel, an unbeliever with an evil heart seeking to do the enemy's will. The Lord says he's been waiting for the, quote, Jezebel to repent, but she, you know, she doesn't want to turn from her immorality. So, the Lord's piercing judgment will come upon the church any time a trial and testing will follow. So, like the historical period of the Dark Ages, pagan practices and idolatry were mingled with the Christian works and worship. And the papacy was elevated to a place of secular power, rituals, and church doctrine took priority over personal faith in Jesus Christ. Worship of the virgin and child and the mass were made a definite part of the church service. Purgatory became a positive, a positive doctrine and mass was said for the dead. Bogus doctrinal statements were circulated to give power and rulership to the Pope. So as Jezebel killed Naboth and persecuted God's prophets, 1 King 18, 19, so the Roman church instituted the Inquisition during this period. Jezebel, quote, seduced, end quote, them away from the truth. And in sharp contrast to uh, Lydia, also from Thyteria, who was the first to turn to Christ. Yet Jesus said he gave her time and space to repent, but she wouldn't. In history, the Lord patiently dealt with the false systems for over a thousand years, and yet there has been no real change down through the centuries. In fact, Rome boasts she never changes. It's always the same. Jesus pronounces Jezebel's judgment and judgment on all who revel against him, unless they repent. He will lay them low. He wants all the churches to know that he is able to see beyond appearance right into every motive, all our thoughts, feelings, and purposes. And when he searches the minds and the hearts, he discerns our entire beings and will reward our judge according to what we deserve. They must have been very encouraged to hear that Jesus knew their deeds, <laughs> love, faith, service, and perseverance, that they were doing more than they did even at first. The angel of Thyteria must have been on the edge being prideful when he heard those words. Then Jesus lowered the boom. Jesus is through with them, tolerating a woman who pretended to be a prophet, but was leading the people of the church into sexual immorality. He names this woman, that Jezebel, 
that direct reference to the most evil woman in the Old Testament. He says he gave her time to repent, but she chose not to. So Jesus will just torment her, kill her children, and make those who sin with her suffer intensely. Why so harsh? So all the churches will know that he knows their hearts and will repay each according to their deeds. But to rest in Thyteria, who will get sucked into Satan's schemes, who didn't worship a variety of gospel, who didn't think they were spiritual superiors. Jesus promised no other heavy burden. He knows our hearts and he knows what we can stand. Obviously, Christ is beginning to say to his church, I am coming to take you out. And because of this, you should stand fast for me. Overcome the false teachers and the works done only by effort and not by the Holy Spirit. To his church, Jesus promised to give power over the nations. And a rule of a wrought iron referring to the millennial reign of Christ in which as believers will share. When we persevere like this, Jesus said, I will give him the morning star. He himself is bright and morning star and his coming for his own. The rapture is the hope of the church. See Titus 2 verse 13. Can you imagine that? Receiving a morning star as your own? Not everyone who gets this message will really hear it. The children of Jezebel won't, but the true children of the Lord Jesus will hear, for the Holy Spirit opens the blood-tipped ear. We must be very careful in our studies of God's word that we not run ahead of his spirit. Let him be our teacher. Only the Spirit of God can make his word real to you. Okay, now patience. We're almost to the scariest verse in the Bible, but first let's discuss the letter to Sardis. Jesus says that Sardis has a reputation for being alive, but is a dead church. He begs them to come alive and repent. However, there are still a few faithful believers in Sardis and Jesus wants them to stay faithful. And the reward for the faithful is spectacular. Their names will be in the book of life. And Jesus will personally acknowledge them before God and his angels. Try to imagine that. Jesus standing before God and his angels calling out your name as one of the faithful gives me the God bumps to think that could be my name he is calling out. The church at Sardis met in a city on the edge of a steep mountain with only one entrance up the, cl uh, up the cliff. All Sardis had to do was put a guard at that one place to watch the city. It was thought throughout the ancient world to be impregnable. Today, the ruins of the temple of Diana of Ephesus and Apollo can still be seen atop that mountain. Here, Diana was the goddess of the moon and Apollo was the god of the sun. They were brother and sister who modeled a corrupt, sexual, vicious cycle of worship. Jesus presents himself to the church at Sardis as the one having the seven spirits of God, that is, he sent the Holy Spirit into the word, world, which we desperately need today. Now, too often we think we need methods of all kinds of band-aid courses for believers that we think will solve our problems. But 
What we really need is to get Jesus Christ, who only the Holy Spirit can make real and living to us. Now, following the dark night of the dark ages, the Holy Spirit was still in the world doing his work. He moved in the hearts of people like Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Knox, and many, many others. I know your works. Chapter 3, verse 1, the Lord commends this church for how their faith produced good works. And even when the church as a structure is dead, many Protestant churches today just go through the form. They may be building all the time and people may come on Sunday morning. Their name is alive, but the church is dead. We did recover some of the critical doctrines like the authority of the word of God, the total depravity of men and justification by faith. But in many other ways, the church did not recover. Instead, many of our conservative churches are improving people. And using cosmetics on the carnal nature, thinking that a few little rules and regulations will enable you to live a Christian life. Hmm. Also, instead of believing by grace through faith alone, see Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, they preach you have to do something in order to be saved. These are all things which characterize Protestantism today. It's very far from its original position. To them, Jesus said, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Chapter three, verse two. This is the second word of condemnation and a word of warning, which meant something specific in Sardis. Protestantism as a whole has turned away from looking for the coming of Jesus Christ. We've built up a system that certain things must be fulfilled before he can come, But he could come in the next moment or tomorrow. His imminent return is what we are to look for. Sardis didn't know when the enemy was coming, and we don't know when Christ is coming. We have no way of knowing that at all. In fact, in in view of the fact that the rapture could take place at any moment, the church is to be alert. The date is not set, nor even the period in which he will come. The church needs to be constantly on the alert for his coming, and we are the church. So looking for the blessed hope, Titus 2.13, you see, anyone can make ready for our fixed hour, but you must always, 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 always be ready for an unexpected hour. The Lord Jesus is saying to the Protestantism that we should constantly be on alert. I will come upon you as a thief, and you will know what not know what hour I will come upon you. Three, three. Remember, Sardis was building that high, was built high upon a mountaintop, which was impossible to scale except at one point in place. But it was captured two times. What happened? The guard went to sleep. The Lord says to the church at Sardis, don't you go to sleep. Wake up and watch out. He could come at any moment. The people of Sardis didn't know when the enemy was coming, and we don't know when the Lord Jesus is coming. And now for the Lord's 
accommodation, a few people, a remnant, still walked with the Lord. They lived godly lives. The Lord said they are worthy. Protestantism today has its saints who love the word and are faithful to him even in these days and who stand by the word of God. They don't play around with sinful things to these overcomers. The Lord said their names are in Delible in the book of life, and he will present them by name to his father and the angels. Of course, these overcomers never succeed out of their own strength, cleverness, or ability, but only by the blood of Jesus. In scripture, we read of only two books one, the book of generations of Adam, see Genesis 5 1. We are all in that book, but it is a book of death. And two, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, see Matthew 1 1, also known as the Lamb's Book of Life. You get into that book by faith in Christ. The book of Revelation places great importance on the book of life. But you can see 13 8, 17 8, 20 12. 15, 21, 27, 22, 19. And the names that are recorded are not, um, that are recorded or not recorded in it. So this statement in Revelation to Sardis that he will not blot out their names from the book of life, 3, 5, raises the question, is it possible for you to be in the book of life and then have your name blotted out? Can you lose your salvation? If that is true, then the Lord Jesus should not have said, and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. John 10, 28. Again and again throughout scripture, we have the assurance that God keeps us saved. So what might this mean? Some suggest that all names are recorded in the book of life because Jesus died for everyone. Everyone is given the responsibility in maturity to choose to accept or reject this gift from God. If they refuse it through their deaths, their names are blotted out. They didn't want the gift. The important thing is whether or not your name is written in the book, in the Lamb's book of life. If you receive the gift of eternal life, you will never lose that salvation. It is God's gift to give to everyone, everyone who wants it. Listen to the Spirit's voice speaking through the Word of God, the message of Christ to his church today. It chokes me up just thinking about that gift, that eternal gift that's there for the taking. And so many people will deny it. So many people in the book of Revelation, if you read it through and you go through this study with me, you're going to see, are going to deny it over and over and over and they're going to face eternity in hell. And that's sad. And I hope you're not one of them. I hope that you accept Jesus in your life. So the two churches to go, just two churches to go, and Jesus has 
only good things to say to the church at Philadelphia, the first city named for brotherly love. Jesus compliments them for enduring trials, even though they have a little struggle left. And since the church has been faithful, he will open doors for them that nobody can shut and will have their enemies acknowledge that Jesus loves them. And since they have been faithful, Jesus will protect them from the some of the upcoming trials and will make them an integral part of the coming kingdom of God. And about that scary verse, we just didn't have the time to get to it today, but I promise I'll do it in next week's episode. Okay. So that's it for today, friends. Please check out my website, www.youministries.com for all the links and graphics mentioned in this podcast. And if you'd like to study the Bible with us in our private Facebook group, just click the link in the description. Have a blessed week. This is Tammy Becker. I'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to another weekly episode of the Almighty God and Gospel Girl podcast. If you have a testimony you would like to share with us, please contact us through our website at youministries.com. That's Y-O-U-Ministries.com. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace.